Have you ever come home from a long day just to find out that that meat you needed for your recipe has totally slipped your mind the last time you went to the grocery store? Well, with the help of ButcherBox, you might never have to deal with that problem ever again. With ButcherBox, you get the convenience of having high-quality meat and seafood delivered straight to your door. Not to mention the peace of mind you get to feel knowing that it's 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free. All humanely raised with no antibiotics or added hormones. Let ButcherBox help make your life even easier. No grocery store required. In addition to free shipping on every order, you get to curate your box plans, have access to member-exclusive deals, get recipe ideas and inspiration, as well as helpful tips. You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com morningcup and use the code morningcup at checkout and enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year. Plus, get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com slash morningcup and use the code morningcup. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Deep-seated hatred can become overwhelming for even the strongest individual. On April 28, 1996, a deadly massacre took place after a man's hatred for one couple ended up costing 35 people their lives. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Martin John Bryant was born on May 7, 1967 in Tasmania, Australia, as the first son to Maurice and Carlene Bryant and spent most of his childhood at their beach home in Carnarvon Bay. According to later interviews with his mother, Martin was a, quote, annoying and different child who would often break his toys, was caught cutting down trees on neighborhood property, and, once, pulled down the snorkel of another local boy when they were diving. He was always in some sort of trouble, lacked any basic emotion or empathy, and had unexplained violent outbursts. After being suspended from the Newtown Primary School in 1977, psychological assessments were done that noted his habit for torturing small animals. When he returned to school the following year, the adults around him remarked on how his behavior had improved, though he was known to tease the children in lower grades. He was eventually transferred to a special education unit at the local high school and, from there, deteriorated rapidly both academically and behaviorally. Upon leaving school in 1983, Martin was assessed for a disability pension by a psychologist. They wrote the following about Martin. Cannot read or write, does a bit of gardening and watches TV. Only his parents' efforts prevent further deterioration. Could be schizophrenic and parents face a bleak future with him. He received the pension and picked up odd jobs as a handyman and as a gardener. When he was 19 years old in early 1987, Martin met 54-year-old Helen Mary Elizabeth Harvey, an heiress to a share in the Tattersall's lottery fortune who, despite their age difference, 
made fast friends with the young man. Martin soon found himself visiting her neglected mansion regularly, the one she shared with her elderly mother, Hilza, and would help her with things around the house like feeding her 14 dogs and 40 cats. Things flew under the radar for a few years, but in June of 1990, someone reported Helen to the health authorities and, when medics arrived, found both she and her mother in desperate need of medical care. While Helen made a recovery, Hilza passed away several weeks later at the age of 79. With both women out of the home, a cleanup order was placed on the mansion and, to help out his son and his friend, Maurice Bryant took an extended leave from his job in order to assist in the cleanup. It was around this time that Helen invited Martin to move in with her, and the two became inseparable. Their favorite pastime? Spending exorbitant amounts of Helen's money. Over the course of just three years, in addition to daily meals out and numerous shopping trips, Martin and Helen purchased a total of 30 cars that now sat crowding their driveway. In 1991, after being told that they were no longer allowed to have animals at their house, Martin and Helen moved to a 72-acre farm called Taurusville, where Martin was known to patrol the grounds carrying an air gun and firing at passing tourists and barking dogs. This was around the same time that Martin was re-evaluated for his pension, and the psychiatrist noted Martin's wishes to, quote, go around shooting people, and how dangerous he could be out from under the watchful eyes of his parents. After years of friendship, on October 20th, 1992, Helen Harvey was killed when her car veered to the wrong side of the road and was hit by an oncoming car. Martin, who was also in the vehicle at the time of the crash, was hospitalized for seven months while he recovered from his neck and back injuries and was briefly investigated by the police to make sure that he had nothing to do with the accident. That's because, according to those who knew Martin, he had a nasty habit of lunging for the steering wheel, which resulted in three other accidents before Helen lost her life. He was cleared of any responsibility and named the sole beneficiary of what remained of Helen's assets. Because Martin had no clue how to run his finances, his mother applied for and was granted a guardianship order, and all that he inherited was placed under the management of the public trustees. Martin returned to the family home and his father helped to look after the Taurusville farm. Now, around the time Martin came to live with his parents, Maurice, who had been prescribed antidepressants, had discreetly transferred his joint bank account and utilities into his wife's name, something that may not have raised any red flags until, two months later, a visitor looking for Maurice at the farm found a note pinned to the front door saying, call the police, and several thousand dollars sitting in his car. Police searched the property for Maurice and, with no sign of him inside of the house, decided to call in divers who would search the four dams situated on the property. He was found two days later on August 16th in the dam closest to the farmhouse. He had a diving belt around his neck and his death was ruled a suicide. Martin, as a result, inherited $250,000. With both his father and Helen now gone, Martin began spiraling into loneliness. He sold the farm for $143,000, keeping the Newtown mansion where he first lived with Helen, began traveling often enough that the summary of his airline travel filled three whole pages, and replaced his signature white overalls with linen suits, a cravat, lizard skin shoes, and a Panama hat. He spoke to anyone who would listen about his successes, claiming he was a well-to-do businessman and took great joy in striking up conversations with those who were forced to sit near him on long flights. But 
None of it seemed to fill the hole in his heart, and by late 1995, he found himself at his lowest point and decided he had, quote, had enough. While his alcohol intake increased, so did his desperation to end his own life. It was during those dark moments that a plan started to brew in his head that would, in the end, see him as the perpetrator in one of the world's deadliest shooting sprees. On April 28, 1996, at around 6 in the morning, Martin woke up and, two hours later, said goodbye to his girlfriend who was off to go visit her parents. At about 9.47 a.m., he left his home and traveled to Port Arthur and was seen driving into Seascape at about 11.45. Now, prior to his death, Maurice Bryant attempted to purchase a bed and breakfast property called Seascape. But before he could do so, it was bought out from under him by David and Nolene Martin. Something of great disappointment to Martin's father, who complained to his son that the Martins were, quote, double dealing. Maurice had offered to purchase another property from the Martins at Palmer's Lookout Road, but they declined his offer. Martin, in the aftermath of his father's suicide, believed that the Martins and their business dealings were the reason that he lost his father. So upon arriving in the area that morning in 1996, Martin walked into the Seascape guest accommodation site, the one his father wanted to purchase, and began firing several shots. He then gagged David Martin, stabbed him to death in the process, and killed his wife shortly thereafter, making the couple who he blamed for his father's death his first victims. But they were far from his last. It was at this point that a couple stopped at the seascape and Martin met them outside in the parking lot. When they asked if they could have a look at the bed and breakfast, he told them that they could not use it because his parents were away and his girlfriend was inside. Put off by his rough personality and rudeness, the couple left at about 12.35 p.m. and headed on their way. Martin then drove to Port Arthur, taking the keys to the seascape with him, and stopped alongside an overheating car to politely tell the people inside to come to Port Arthur Cafe for some coffee. They had no clue that he had just brutally murdered two people and was on his way to kill many more. He then made his way towards the Palmer Lookout Road property, where he happened upon a man named Roger Larner, a man he had seen from time to time over the last 15 years. He told Roger that he had been surfing, had bought a nearby property, and wanted to buy some cows off of him. He then asked if Mary Ann Larner was home and asked if he could go see her. When Roger agreed and said that he would go with him, Martin abruptly changed his mind and left the property. At 1.10 p.m., Martin paid the entry fee for a site and parked near the Broad Arrow Cafe situated near the water's edge, to which the security manager told him that he needed to move his car and park where everyone else was as this area was reserved for camper vans. He did as he was asked, grabbed a large bag, and went into the cafe to get something to eat. After eating his meal, striking up conversations with other patrons, and discarding his tray, Martin put down his bag and pulled out an AR-15. The small cafe at the time of the shooting was packed to the brim with people waiting for the next ferry, all of whom became potential victims as Martin began shooting without rhyme or reason. He fatally shot Mo Yi Ang and Sao Lang Chung, who were visiting from Malaysia, and shot Mick Sargent, the bullet grazing his scalp and knocking him to the ground. He then shot and killed Mick's girlfriend, Kate Elizabeth Scott, as winemaker Jason Winter, who had been helping the busy cafe staff, threw a serving tray at Martin to try and lure him away from his wife, Joanne, and their 15-month-old son, Mitchell. Anthony Nightingale, who stood up as the first bullets went off and yelled out, 
No, Not Here, was fatally shot through the neck and spine before Martin fired off another shot at 68-year-old Kevin Vincent Sharp. Another bullet exited the chamber and went through 66-year-old Walter Bennett and hit the body of 67-year-old Raymond Sharp, brother of Kevin Sharp, before shooting and killing Andrew Mills. As people do... As people dove under tables, friends and spouses pushing loved ones out of the way, and many receiving serious injuries from flying fragments, Martin continued to pull the trigger without any remorse. From the very first shot until his exit, just 15 seconds had passed. 15 seconds where 17 shots were fired, 12 were killed, and 10 more were injured. Martin then made his way towards the gift shop area and fatally shot 17-year-old Nicole Burgess and 26-year-old Elizabeth Howard, local girls who worked at the shop. As many hid under tables and behind shop displays, Martin shot and killed Dennis Lever, whose wife was hiding behind a burlap screen with other patrons, and Gwen Neander, who was trying to make her exit and was shot in the head. At this point, Martin saw movement in the nearby cafe and went back to look at it, firing off some shots and injuring more patrons. In his brief absence, Jason Winter thought he exited the gift shop completely and took the opportunity to flee the area. Martin saw him, shot him, and killed him. It's not totally clear what exactly happened next, but we do know that, at some point, Martin reloaded his weapon, walked back into the cafe, and then back into the gift shop, where he fatally shot Ronald Jerry, Peter Nash, who had been lying on top of his wife to protect her, and Pauline Masters. Peter's wife lay beneath her husband's body, so Martin could not see her. After reloading his gun again, Martin walked away from the gift shop, leaving behind the bodies of eight innocent strangers in his wake. In total, between the cafe and the gift shop, Martin fired 29 shots, killed 20 victims, and wounded 12 more. That number could have been much, much higher had staff members not been able to escape and alert the number of coaches that lined up outside filled to the brim with tourists, some of which thought the shooting was a historical reenactment. Unfortunately, with very little time to act and space to move, the line of buses became Martin's next target. As Martin moved towards the coaches, one of the drivers, Royce Thompson, was shot and killed while trying to move along the passenger side of his vehicle. He fell to the ground and crawled under the bus, but did not survive his injuries. Bobbing and weaving throughout the coaches, shooting and injuring passengers and drivers as he went, Martin fatally shot Winifred Alplin as she ran for cover, and people, in a complete panic, ran throughout the parking lot to try and find safety. The scene, to say the least, was complete and utter chaos. Martin then went to his vehicle, changed to a self-loading rifle, shot at a nearby victim, and sat in his car for a few moments before getting back out and heading back towards the coaches. Heading back, Martin took the opportunity to shoot an injured Janet Quinn, killing her this time, and fatally shot Elva Gaylard in the arms and chest. When Janet's husband came back looking for her, forced to abandon her when she was injured, he came face to face with Martin Bryant, who said to him, no one gets away from me before pulling the trigger. Neville, knowing he was about to fire off a shot, ducked and was hit in the neck, paralyzing him for a moment. By this point, Martin had killed 26 people and injured a total of 18. Finished with this area, Martin got back into his car and made his way down Jetty Road. Ahead of him were Nanette McCack and her two children, three-year-old Madeline, who she was carrying, 
and six-year-old Alana. The trio had run about 660 yards away from the car park when the shooting began, only to have Martin drive up alongside them and open his door. Not realizing he was the shooter and thinking he was there to help them, Nanette moved towards the car. That's when Martin got out and told her to get on her knees. She did so and was met with a bullet to her temple. He then fatally shot both of her daughters before driving up to a nearby toll booth. There, he blocked the car containing Mary Rose Nixon, Russell James Pollard, Helen, and Robert Salzman, who, upon seeing Martin, got into an argument with him. Martin ended the fight by pulling out his rifle and fatally shooting Robert. Russell then stepped out of the vehicle and was shot and killed before Martin moved on to Mary and Helen. He then transferred his ammunition, got in their BMW, and drove off. By this point, he had killed 33 and injured 19. He then drove up to a service station and cut off a white Toyota Corolla being driven by Glenn Pears with his girlfriend, Zoe Hall, in the passenger seat. Martin then got out of the BMW, rifle in hand, and tried to pull Zoe from the car. Glenn got out and rushed towards Martin, who then turned his attention back to Glenn, pushed him backwards, demanded he open the trunk of the BMW, and locked him inside. As Zoe attempted to climb into the Corolla's driver's seat, Martin shot three times and killed her. By this point, a number of people at the service station had found hiding spots, so Martin grabbed his gun and left in the BMW. A police officer arrived several minutes later and drove after Martin Bryant, who was now making his way back to Seascape. After shooting at a passing car, Martin arrived at his destination and got out of his stolen car. At that point, a vehicle started to approach and saw Martin carrying a gun. They assumed he was rabbit hunting and slowed down as they passed. He shot into the car as it sped away, and thankfully, everyone inside made it out with their lives. The same happened with a few more vehicles, but all made it out either unscathed or injured. He then got back into the BMW and drove down the driveway to the Seascape home. He removed Glenn Pears from the trunk of the car and handcuffed him to the stairwell inside the home. He then set the BMW on fire. Martin Bryant, after killing a total of 34 people and injuring 23 more, was arrested the following morning when a fire started at the guest house. He taunted police to come and get him and was forced to run out of the house, clothes on fire, when, believing the hostage was already dead, police shot into the house to try and force Martin out. Glenn Pears was, as police would soon discover, shot during or before the standoff making him the 35th victim. His body was found in the same home as the Martin couple, the only victims who Martin Bryant seemed to know and had a vendetta against. After an examination, Martin Bryant was found to be borderline mentally disabled, socially and intellectually impaired, and with an IQ of 66, equivalent to that of an 11-year-old. Despite this, he was judged fit to stand trial and initially pleaded not guilty before being persuaded by his court-appointed lawyer, a man named John Avery, and the prosecution to plead guilty to all charges. Two weeks later, he was given 35 life sentences plus an additional 1,652 years without a chance for parole. While behind bars, Martin Bryant was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. After two attempts on his own life, Martin Bryant, to this day, resides behind bars at the Risden Prison and will stay there until he takes his last breath. 
Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. And thank you to Keith Nichols, who suggested this story. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on April 29th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.